This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life. Because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kyle Lichty. Hey everyone, here with Dave Mann. We're here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. This is our hometown. How's it going? Good, man. It's a couple days before Christmas. Yeah. Haven't seen you since last Christmas. So uh, I live in Washington now, Washington State. So it's good to be back in Fort Wayne and to see old friends like yourself. Yeah. We just hung out with some friends last night even. So uh, I think we, we it would have been like 2002, 2003 yep. when we first met um, at a youth group. And uh, just uh, getting to know each other. I, mean, I remember you were like my um, at camp. You were like my oh, counselor right. for a while. Yeah, when you were in junior, you were in eighth in grade. School. Yeah, you were like a junior or senior, and uh, so that was fun. <laughs> and even after you graduated, uh, going up to Minneapolis to visit, as well as to check out. The yeah, college you're that you checking were at. out the school that I happened to go to and had you stay in my room yeah. and yeah, so we kept touch. I was in high school and you were in junior high, and you know at the time it's like those age gaps seem like a, a big thing, and now you know yeah, <laughs> like could, it could care less. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> care less uh, about a couple years, but yeah, I remember. You know, going up to Detroit with you when we were students, going to a conference there and yeah. some of those trips. And I definitely remember the camp. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was some good stuff. You grew up again here in Fort Wayne. Uh, your first experience with uh, music came about from piano lessons and choir. Uh, was that something that your parents got you into or was that something different? Yeah, so I when I was a kid, I, so I lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, moved to Fort Wayne when I was going into sixth grade at going into junior high. So uh, growing up, you know, I was involved in a lot of different activities, was in sports, I was in uh, Boy Scouts, and then, you know, broadening horizons, so music was part of that. They offered piano lessons starting at my school. So I started doing that and then ended up taking private lessons for, I started in third grade and ended up taking lessons until I was in high school. And then when we started getting into the age of having like choir through school and elementary school, I did that and was, was a part, I can't sing now, but at the, <laughs> as a kid was in some honors choirs and things like that. So, uh, just exposed me to being involved with music personally. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a lot that you, um, appreciate about music because of that experience? Sure. I, I think before I really fell in love with music that I listened to, uh, being involved in it and having a sense of of music itself and kind of music structure and theory and things like that, uh, sure that that helped me build uh, an appreciation for uh, for just what it was as a whole and what it was as an ability to move people and have fun and something to be involved with. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. So as um, in the midst of this, you're also uh, growing up in a Christian home. So a lot of things like Newsboys, DC Talk are what you're listening to. How did, is that because of your parents again or uh, maybe your church or what, what was it about that those artists uh, was what you were impacted by? Yeah, so as a as a Christian kid growing up in the 90s, you know, the, my my view of the world, the the exposure that I had to the world was a pretty controlled thing. And so uh, I wasn't watching MTV in the mid 90s, you know, I was 9, 10 years old. I I just didn't know about 
a lot of the stuff that was out there. I knew the the names of like Nirvana and thing you know things like that just from people at school talking. But I I certainly didn't know anything uh, about that. Uh, so what I had to listen to was you know the the Christian music and uh, at the time you know that was really cool to me that was really influential and it was stuff that I really enjoyed and it's funny look, looking back now I, I I re-listened to a lot of that stuff and for me because of the, the nostalgia it totally holds up <laughs> which I know I'm sure not all of it but for like for certain artists for for me my my favorite band as you know, in that kind of range was was the Newsboys and listening back to some of their albums that uh, 1996, the Take Me to Your Leader album. Right. To me, listening now as, as an adult in my 30s, that music totally holds up, and and I still love it and and think that fun, clever, well written songs and good hooks and yeah. uh but but for me before i even knew what else was out there that was kind of all i had because i grew up in a pretty traditional church where we were singing hymns and we were singing you know kind of old style songs but you know faith and music there's a huge intersect there that in a lot of expressions of faith especially in christianity you know church music is an important part of that experience and you know as a kid you never question why is it that we come and sit in this room for an hour you know every week and sing songs and it's just part of life it's just uh, part of what you do and and a big part of those gatherings in church environments is music and so to listen to music to to that wasn't old, that wasn't, you know, on an organ and that wasn't sung by a choir, that was fun and upbeat, uh, that that really helped shape, you know, my my identity as a young person developing just my personal identity and my faith identity to have lyrics that I connected with, but also, you know, stuff that I could listen to in front of my friends and not feel embarrassed. Yeah. And to your, in front of your parents, if, if it was the, yeah, absolutely. It was still an appropriate thing and could show them the words and show that it was things that we could listen to. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of, similarity to what you just said for me even of just that um there was something like you said clever throughout uh, a lot of the lyrics of like newsboys for example yeah that um whether it was funny like the song take me to your leader and and seeing like the music videos that go along with that too yeah um where you would you laugh to because there's there's jokes in the midst of the video or in the lyrics and uh but yet still having that connection personally to the lyrics as well right and something that you know emphasized my you know what i what i was taught to be my worldview at the time but you know, a lot of the, the tongue-in-cheek type humor yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, in in the, the Newsboys writing, you know, and in the song Shine, which was a huge song in Christian music in the mid-90s. Uh, you know, if you read the lyrics, there's a, a lot of kind of fast-paced, tongue-in-cheek uh, h- hooks and lyrics in the song. And so, you know, things like that, uh, that really that really mattered to me that it was stuff that I liked and that, um, it was, it was something that felt like was for me. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is, you know, you were hearing those same kind of things in pop music at the time, whether it was like the new radicals um, or third eye blind. Um, but yet it was uh, distinctly Christian in that, in that situation. I feel like, well, and at the time, Christian rock is kind of a subgenre. Really, was, I mean, a, a big deal. Yeah. I mean, 
DC Talk had had albums and songs that charted on Billboard. I mean, Jars of Clay had their yeah, song Flood. Flood. Yeah, was huge. Would charted on on the the Billboard. Uh, I think the Hot 100 songs and. So all of those albums and those tours did really well. I mean, in the mid-90s, DC Talk and the Newsboys were two of, I mean, not like the biggest, but of all touring artists, I mean, they were very successful and certainly, you know, made made a dent in the music culture as a whole. And so even though it was, you know, a pigeonholed as a Christian thing, it's still... Uh, there was there was a real uh, subculture to that. There was a, a lot of people at, at those concerts. Uh, one of my earliest concerts was uh, Newsboys. They did uh, that they called the Air Dome tour yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the late '90s with uh, the the band Sonic Flood. And I remember going to that in middle school. It was in and, Auburn, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, and. I mean, we we went with a group of probably over twenty people from our 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 school. It just was a huge deal. All right, it's crazy. So uh, another thing with looking back at some of the '90s music, it, whether it was Christian or not, there's an element of anything from past decades that we look back and kind of cringe, and right. you know, it's kind of laughable. Look at the outfits and the videos and oh, totally. some of the stylistic things. Uh, but to say that, you know, the message and the music, those things, they still hold up. And, you know, some of those songs still really speak to me. Uh, I was in a small group and we were, we were talking about some of those nineties Christian bands and some of the, you know, people in their early twenties had no idea we were talking to, or no idea what we were talking about. And so on my Spotify, just for a couple weeks, I, I was going back hard through some of my, my nineties music. And it's like, you know what, this, these songs still, not not only are fun, but some of the more powerful ones, like the song "Entertaining Angels" by the Newsboys. I mean, that still like gets me emotional and still really speaks to me on a deeper level. Hmm. That's cool. At this time as well, even or even even uh, from your beginnings with music, classic rock, oldies are really uh, also kind of speaking to you in a, in a relevant way. Um, so you had a you went to saw Aerosmith for example the Beatles number 1 album was resonating with you uh what was it about going back so far in time to the oldies that made you uh want to keep listening to it yeah that that's a good question because the stuff that my parents liked was more of that we weren't listening in the you know, car driving around to christian radio or top 40 we we weren't uh, a lot of times we didn't listen to anything driving around but not even uh espn 1380 not not till later not not till later but (laughs) uh, but at the same time i remember growing up uh, in, in cincinnati we were very close with a lot of our neighbors and just have great memories of sitting out on our deck and the neighbor's deck and listening to oldies on the radio so you know like the beach boys and the beatles i i I loved that that kind of music more of like the earlier beatles yeah or more thinking of like the classic oldie stuff the actually the very first cd that i ever bought with my own money was the beach boys 20 good vibrations that some of my other friends when we were in junior high we just loved that stuff and we actually sang uh california girls at our eighth grade talent show <laughs> me and me and some of our friends we had matching hawaiian shirts from kohl's and <laughs> that was, and that was probably at the prime of hawaiian t-shirts oh yeah oh yeah this would like have been 2000 yeah 1999 or 2000 so so i had always loved that stuff and then I got into getting into junior high age. Uh, I I found MTV and I found VH1. And when I was in junior high, VH1 had a, a, a program that I just devoured the the top 100 rock and roll songs of all time. Oh wow! 
And I mean, I watched that thing like it was gospel. <laughs> and there were a lot of artists that I had heard of, but like I didn't know anything about them. Like I had heard of the Eagles and I like I could I could hum Hotel California, but I didn't know anything about them and you know, Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin. I'd heard the yeah. names, but like I certainly didn't know Stairway to Heaven or any of any of those kinds of songs, or Bruce Springsteen or any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, I remember watching this thing and it was five hours long and I probably watched it I mean it would you know, re air a lot. I, I would I would watch it off and on for you know, for weeks, for months. And at the same time, so the Napster became a thing, yeah. the original Napster. So you could, on your computer, just download songs. <laughs> you know, when you're in eighth grade, you're not worried about copyrights yeah. and license and any of that. And so we didn't have high-speed internet, but my best friend Brian did. So seriously, Brian and another friend of ours and I, we would sit in his basement and we would just download music and we didn't even know what half of it was but it's like oh hey i heard of you know this let's download this and so uh aerosmith had at the time just released a new album and they were uh they had done the the big song from armageddon don't want to miss a thing and so they had a new album in the late 90s or when i was going into ninth grade and so they were kind of back and so we got into that and then i found like aerosmith greatest hits i found walk this way and sweet emotion and dream on and you know these songs that i didn't really know before eighth ninth grade and so and i loved it and i i listened to that i had their greatest hits and um they're, they had an album just push play and so I ended up they were down in Indianapolis at at the time it was Deer Creek now I think it's the Verizon Center it's it's been about four different things in the Ru- last 20 years like Ruoff Mortgage yeah last so, so yeah. <laughs> d- down in down in Noblesville but uh, you know my first non-church music concert was going to see Aerosmith nice. and uh, sitting on the lawn. And uh, I remember my dad, it was a gift from my dad. And the choice was either, you know, a ticket for me and maybe one other person to have better seats, or it could sit on the lawn and could take up to three other people. So we did that. And that was my first like real concert experience, sitting on the lawn and uh, watching Aerosmith. How was the concert? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. You know, I was I was that was the summer between ninth and tenth grade. So, yeah, I was fifteen, and I knew a bunch of the music, and it was it was a lot of fun. Nice. You mentioned MTV VH1 already. At that time, you had pop and hip-hop and and rock were kind of the main uh, staples at the time uh, in terms of genre and but what was it about those shows like trl for example uh how are they driving culture yeah so they were a huge thing at the time and of course you know being a junior high and into high school you know like backstreet boys and sync britney spears all that was super popular at the time eminem had just come out around then so it was super popular at the time and so we that's what we talked about at school and who was number one on trl was a big deal yeah carson daly long before the voice <laughs> uh doing trl and yeah that was a big deal so one of my favorite bands at the time was the christian band pod the rap rock band from uh, san diego and they had a song that for just one day it was number one on trl and that was such a huge deal to me that like one of my bands that my music could you know beat out like in sync for a day or eminem for a day right. and uh what was it boom or youth of a nation or you, you don't remember uh it it was on their album before that it was um rock the party yeah okay yeah um 
and then yeah alive was was on their next album satellite alive and youth of a nation uh were were in the top 10 too but yeah those those were things that people were talking about and so i couldn't have told you or probably cared less what was you know the billboard number one i didn't even know about that but what was number one on trl that that was a big deal to us at the time yeah you uh you mentioned um pod and, and i'm i'm reminded uh you also liked lincoln park around that same time yep rap and, rock was a big deal at the time yeah i mean limp biscuit wasn't i mean we we hate we clown on them now <laughs> but like they were huge they, at, at oh, least yeah. at least for like our age demographic at that time i mean they were massive mm-hmm. there was a lot of things too that happened around that time uh in terms of events like uh Columbine yep. and 9-11 that POD was, and Lincoln Park were kind of speaking out to. Did, did that mean something to you in the, in as a teen? Sure. And looking back now and having a broader view of music history, I know that pop music and culture and politics have intersected, you know, long before my time. Right you know especially going back to the 60s but Mm -hmm. of course we didn't know that then we we didn't have any view of that and so you know understanding how some of the stuff that we were listening to how it was culturally relevant and uh pod having a song about school shootings because i was in seventh grade when the columbine shooting happened and that had a big effect on on me and you know, my age group, my, my generation, uh, in 10th grade, I was taking our state standardized tests during uh, a 9-11. And so, you know, stuff that, stuff that spoke to like the world that I was seeing, uh, was, was really important. Now, one thing about the music then, because music has become so homogenized now, of i you know i i feel like we're we're to the kind of post genre era of music and of course there's still you know labels and that sort of thing but you know artists today it, it's like they don't want that right but at the time music was very segmented <laughs> and yeah. the, the labels mattered a ton and the different subculture and identities associated with all those so for me you know as a middle class suburban white kid white male you know i certainly didn't want to listen to a lot of the pop stuff that was popular and sync Britney Spears of course I wanted nothing to do with that that wasn't cool but I didn't identify with like any of the rap music at all so for me identifying with like rock that that was an it was you know subconscious but that was like a real decision it's like I'm choosing this identity and even music that I didn't necessarily uh, like or connect with at first it's like all right th- this is my lane i'm picking my lane and so you know anything rock whether it was alternative or rap rock or punk those were all really big at the time it's like all right this is my thing these are my people yeah. and and kind of going all in on that mm-hmm. it, it was like this is how i'm choosing my lane you moved to minneapolis after high school you're you're going to school there um alternative music is still huge in your life whether it's lincoln park like i already mentioned or three doors down um but your taste really starts to expand beyond just typical alternative rock and it starts going to more uh emo which was big then that wasn't just me no yeah (laughs) as well as other uh, type of subgenres of rock, I feel like. What? Uh, how did that happen? Yeah, so like a, a lot of people post-high school, you know, you, you get into... Uh, I was in a new city with completely new people, 
and you're exposed to all the stuff. First of all, so I was living in a college dorm, so there are 70 guys living within like 200 yards of yeah. each other on on this floor and our our floors was on our dorms were split between the east side and the west side but still i mean we're just packed in with all these people who are the same age but i'm hearing all this stuff that I've never heard before, and so I didn't even know existed, Mm -hmm. that was outside of what was on the radio in Fort Wayne, and, you know, so... Your friends. Yeah, friends, and what was on MTV, and, and so then I'm exposed to all this other stuff. So I remember listening to the band Taking Back Sunday as a freshman in college, and like wow, I love this, and just really, like, identifying with that, and it's like, oh, they've been around for years, have I never even heard of that, uh, the band Something Corporate, and kind of that whole, like, post-punk, yeah, pop, pop rock kind of thing, uh, there were, there were tons of bands like that and so i'm hearing all this music so at the same time so i was the first kid on my floor with a mac oh yeah i I had bought a mac because i thought they were cool uh going into college and within a couple years you know everyone had a mac it became the thing but at the time you know i i had i had one of the first ipods on my floor i had one of the the first Max in my dorm building. And so everyone starts using iTunes at the time before yeah. we were all listening to CDs. But so we start, and there were a couple MP3 players that it, they had been around for a few years, but they certainly weren't the norm. You know, everyone had CDs and hundreds of dollars worth of CDs. Right. So then I met this college and everyone's using iTunes and we're all on one shared network through through the school and you know it's a smaller school but still there's hundreds of users on there well all of our iTunes accounts are linked and so i found this program that you could download other people's iTunes libraries. <laughs> Again, not thinking about copyrights and morality and that sort of thing at the time. And so I find this program and I start like showing it around to other people. And pretty soon, the whole school... <laughs> I mean, you could just... You, it didn't even have the person's name on it. You could just find someone's iTunes yeah. library. And so I'm downloading all kinds of stuff and things that I had never heard of or listened to or cared about. And then it's like, okay, I've got I've got the space. <laughs> and so uh, my first laptop in college, this was 2004, had 40 gig. Oh, my gosh. Which, you yeah. know, our phones have double that now, but... Uh, Still, like for that time. Yeah, yeah. and I think 80% of my hard drive was my iTunes. <laughs> Well, that's that's my hard drive right now. <laughs> um, th- so there's a couple things that w- you just brought up that rem- I'm reminded of. I remember because I think with uh, Mac you could um, through iTunes if you allowed it, you could go into somebody's um, like library and you could play a song through their library. Yeah, uh, that- um, as long as there was a Wi-Fi connection. Absolutely. And And at the school, since we're all plugged into the same internet network, you could look up anybody's and yeah, yeah, you could play it, but then, you know, found this program where then you could download their, their whole library. And so a later updated version of iTunes, you know, you couldn't do that anymore. They got smart, but for that one glorious year, man, (laughs) I had just... You know, thousands, of thousands songs. of songs and albums that um, I never paid for. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Do you feel like um, iTunes was a huge reason why Max became so popular? Sure, because the demographic for Max became the twenties, college-educated 
you know, kind of kind of your classic millennial. Yeah. And sure, that that was on the forefront of that. And so using that and the ease of use and uh, iPods became the standard MP3 player very quickly. And so, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So uh, I remember you, you just mentioned emo. And I was reminded of a time when uh, we were with some friends and you were driving and you put on a Copeland song from the In Motion album. Yes. And I had just started listening to Copeland. So I was singing and I remember you were just like so excited and so happy that I like that somebody else in the world (laughs) knew Copeland. Yeah, because a lot of those, that's that's another example of a band that had been around for, you know, plenty of time before I was in high school, but I had never heard it. I, I had no avenue where in Fort Wayne we had, you know, pop radio and rock radio and rap radio, yeah. but, but there was no means to listen to something that wasn't... Uh, that wasn't mainstream and in one of those avenues and that wasn't on MTV, but you know, it was still relatively big, mm-hmm. but I just had no means of finding that kind of stuff before then. And so, yeah, to find out other people did too. And, you know, for us, we just happened to that, that kind of coming of age time happened to coincide with, you know, the, with high speed internet and, with the changing technology and the handheld technology and touchscreen and all that. But I feel like those kinds of shifts were peop were are something that people have always made at that kind of time in their life and mm-hmm. going to college and whether it was actual college or just that, that age range and your, your mind and your experiences are broadened and, um, the, just the stuff that you find out about is, is brought in. Right. So being in, in Minneapolis, you got to kind of experience something unique uh, compared to being in Fort Wayne. And that was hip hop. Yeah. Uh, specifically from artists in uh, Minneapolis. How did that come about? Yeah. So Minneapolis has a huge indie hip hop scene. One of the big indie hip hop labels, uh, Rhyme Sayers, is based out of Minneapolis. And there were some huge artists locally, or they were big in that world on a national scale, but they were from Minneapolis uh-huh. and they, they rapped a lot about Minneapolis, like Atmosphere and Brother Ali and, and guys like that idea and abilities that it was it was fun music and it wasn't the kind of hip hop that I was hearing on the radio it was uh their their lyrics were really about something uh brother ali was very outspoken politically but i i mean uh, so atmosphere their their mc slug it just you know, I've like studied his lyrics and, uh, it's just really clever and really funny. And, you know, the kind of hip hop that was popular at the time, like Drake and stuff that just, that did nothing for me. (laughs) That, 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 that kind of stuff didn't speak to me at all. And yeah, there were like different rappers that I might've respected, but I didn't love it. And so I connected with something because of this local thing, but that exposed me to uh, a world of hip hop that I didn't even know existed that wasn't just like, you know, Little John and Ludacris and, you know, that because at the time rap and like 50 Cent, it was like very bombastic. The auto tune. Yeah. I, absolutely um that was the age of like gangster rap and like uh, the atlanta rap it was really big and loud and in your face and bombastic and you know for for me as a you know suburban early 20s white guy that that just didn't connect with me at all but not, not at all there was some of that that was fun and yeah. you know i i love kanye's first couple albums uh, and I think again, that's the case for to- a lot of people. To- <laughs> they, to- yeah, totally hold up, and uh, and some some of that music, it 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 was a lot of fun, but it wasn't stuff that I really 
took super seriously. Yeah. But having the indie hip hop, that was something that I loved and that I could really identify with because, you know, the longer I lived in Minneapolis, I loved identifying with Minneapolis. That became a big part of my uh, DNA Mm -hmm. and having a city that I feel like I'm proud to, you know, live in and be, be a part of their scene and that that sort of thing uh, really meant a lot to me and so you know an atmosphere they they would rap about you know life in south minneapolis and it's like i i was there i i i worked in south minneapolis at the time uh, there's uh, lake street a big street there you know you'd reference different places on lake street in his songs and it's like man like i drive by that a lot and so just to, to feel like having that personal connection, uh, it, you know, it meant a lot. Now, I don't know if this was post Minnesota, but, um, you had this really interesting transition to country music. Uh, was that during Minneapolis or after at the, I'd say at the tail end. So I moved from Minneapolis back to Fort Wayne for a couple years in the fall of 2013. And I'd say it was earlier in 2013 that I started getting into country, which I had never (laughs) been into before, never liked. Well, explain why and how that happened. Yeah. So I love... I loved rock and roll. I loved rock music and rock really changed a lot in the mid to late 2000s and and into the 2010s from, you know, it it became, it became a lot heavier and it became, and part of it was my taste changed and the taste of rock changed, but the, the big bands at the time, I felt like just were more like metal and right. just were Hard heavy. Rock. Yeah, thrash. And that just wasn't as much my cup of tea. I loved more of like the pop rock and, you know. But that, but so, that, was, that was the part that was dying. Absolutely. That, and and there, was no, there was no room for that. Pop music, like top 40 music had changed where there were not bands anymore. Uh outside of maybe a handful and and even like maroon five was really popular but i loved their first album songs about jane i mean the guitar playing on it is outstanding but then you know you hear like moves like jagger and stuff like that where it's like that is a big departure (laughs) from from their first album one republic was another one where i loved their first album the songwriting was really good uh really solid pop rock even like coldplay who i still like and respect a lot but just you know music changes and what's popular changes and it was changing away from what i liked so rock was getting too heavy punk became screamo which i just was not about that life (laughs) and hip-hop and uh kind of general pop were really kind of becoming one and the same um and really the the homogenized music thing was happening and everything else was pushed to the fringes and so i felt for a couple years like there wasn't a whole lot of new stuff that was for me. And hey, I had I had my iPod. I had all my playlists on iTunes that I could just be re-listening to the same stuff over and over again. But I had a friend, or I have a friend, or we have a mutual friend, Kyle, who loves country. And so at different times, I would, you know, give it a listen. And I'm listening to country in 2013, and uh, the the country group florida georgia line had a huge song called cruise and at the time it became the most played country song of all time which i'm sure just because of streaming and that sort of thing but you know again all this stuff's now available and so i'm listening to to country at the time and the artists who were big and i'm like this is rock and roll it's it wasn't the kind of twangy garth brooksy stuff that like i had associated with with country it's like this is pop rock this is 
okay, yeah, lyrically kind of all about the same thing, driving <laughs> trucks and drinking beer and stuff, but but musically, like, this is the stuff that I like. Mm. And and I realized, like, man, for guitar-based music, which I guess to sum up, you know, a lot of what I like, that, that would be a good description, but, you know, guitar-based, drum-driven, rock and roll didn't exist anywhere in in on the radio outside of country and i mean it did but for for stuff that like i really liked and connected with all of a sudden it's like man okay i actually like this and so again you know i think identity music is a big shaper of our identity and so once i kind of got over the hurdle of like okay, I guess I like country music now. (laughs) A lot of the stuff that I would have had no place for before, you know, I had a lot more of a tolerance for, uh, uh, along with the things that I really did like and connect with. But I feel like country is even homogenized with uh, with pop music. And so a lot of the, the big country artists over the past 10 years, like, Florida Georgia Line and Luke Bryan and Sam Hunt, they have elements of hip hop and rock and pop like in that, even though lyrically it's still kind of those same worn out country things, but the music itself is a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, it's like, uh, there's a lot of, I could go on with what you just mentioned, but the, I mean, you've got Little Nas X. Right. With, you know, combining country and hip-hop and then you've but yet you've also got someone like casey musgraves or sturgill simpson they're kind of bringing this more of a it's not like old country more of a neo country maybe if you maybe that would be the the way to describe it yeah happening right now and and what's interesting about uh, especially with, with Casey is she has been very successful critically. I mean, she's won a number of awards. I mean, Grammys and Brandy uh, Carlisle too, co- country could, music awards. But she hasn't done super well commercially, and she had she had a song that won Song of the Year that wasn't even like a top 20 country hit yeah. so so there's there's a lot of that stuff that true country fans just love and, and really adopt but commercially it just doesn't do very well because i think the the tastes of you know country fans are merging with the tastes of everything else and uh for especially people younger than us where where I'm 34 and you're 30 for people younger than us they don't care at all about the labels and especially the people that have only grown up with streaming they you know like little Nas X it doesn't matter so someone who's a, like a diehard country fan could hate that that is classified as country to the bone someone under 20 couldn't care less right that the labels mean nothing to them and so for me it's like i'm kind of halfway in between that but the music itself it's all kind of becoming the same whether whether it's country or something else but at the same time you know i don't think culturally people care about that especially people 25 and under right because they didn't grow up with uh, where it's like to find stuff you almost had to be like that segmented thing of like radio being very genre specific and cd stores being you know being that way and uh it's almost like we we had that by necessity But in a world where everything's on YouTube and everything's on Spotify, streaming to your phone, you don't need that. You just just find what you like and you listen to it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even though there are labels and genres classified through streaming services, uh, the fact that pretty much, what, 90, 95% of all recorded music is 
um, within the last 60, 70 years is on Spotify. Yeah. Um, you can listen to whatever you want. And it doesn't, you know, there's nothing. Yeah, there's playlists or other different um, ways to listen to a specific genre, for example. But you can, I mean, very easily you can switch to whatever uh, song you want. And I think it has more to do with the mood that you're in than it does on what type of music you like. I would definitely say that that's true because what I do now is I go in phases where there's something that I'll just absolutely love for a week or two and then be on to the next thing. But it's cyclical and it's it's totally random and it totally varies. It could be new things. It could be old older stuff. It could be, uh, you know, I'm going to listen to nothing but revolver by the Beatles for a week and then be on a late nineties punk rock kick for, for a while. And yeah. then, uh, you know, and then listen to Wu Tang clan for, <laughs> for a couple days. And, you know, it, it just totally changes by whatever mood I'm in. Right. So speaking of, uh, classics like the Beatles, you, uh, you've kind of gone back to the classics lately. Yeah. Um, is that just the for nostalgic reasons, or is it more of a you you recognize good music and you, therefore you want to listen to that? Yeah. For a couple of years, I've been at a point where like I'm not really on the hunt for new stuff anymore. And there's an appropriate time for that and, you know, teens and in your 20s. But I kind of feel like my tastes are what they are at this point. And so circling back to the things I started with, you you start to appreciate things on a much deeper level. Plus, I'm certainly not a good musician, but, you know, I play multiple instruments and, and can appreciate can appreciate that and the historicity of different kinds of music and so coming back to the Beatles now where you know being really into the like the Beatles one album was a, a big deal around 2000 2001 of all their number one hits and being introduced to a lot of that to now really looking at the scope of like the albums that that they recorded in the order that they did and listening to their progression yeah, and finding the appreciation of where they went from singing kind of silly, fun love songs. I want to hold your hand. Yeah. Which actually musically is actually kind of complicated. It's, it's not just the straight three chord, four chord uh, rock that a lot of people were doing at the time, but it, you know, it, but it's really fun. Yeah. But as they progressed and understanding how music was recorded at that time and the fact that they had to invent a lot of the methods that they used to, to do the things that they did and thinking about the fact that the Beatles at the height of their popularity just stopped touring and disappeared and then all they did from that point was studio music yeah. and just trying to understand in context like what a big deal that was i mean they were they were probably the most famous people in the world at at the time that there there was nothing like that and um, the the level of art that they were able to do and write in a short amount of time in a, in an eight year period consistently. Yeah. And, and to this day, you look at lists of the greatest albums of all time and they have five or six, usually in the top 10, top 20, but it's always, it's always three or four or five Beatles albums that are considered among among the greatest of all time. Yeah. Sgt. Pepper, Abbey Road, Revolver. Yep. Revolver. Rubber Soul. Yep. You know, 
all all of those that I consider help to be yeah, yeah. one I, of I their love help. yeah to to be probably the most underrated that it probably should be yeah. uh, up in that level. But yeah, uh, one list revolver was the num- the number one album of all time. Another was Sgt. Pepper. Uh, I remember MTV did a thing where they named Rubber Soul as the most important pop album of all time. Hmm. Interesting. What is it about music that uh, is something that we, why do we enjoy it? Why do we make it uh, something that we prioritize? Because it's universal, because it, it's personal. So I love sports, but sports, by and large, it's, it's kind of a regional thing. You, you associate with it based on you know, where you're from and the team you like and, and that sort of thing. But, but music, it's, it's much more of a, a personal connection than, than that. And you can be at a concert with thousands of other people listening to the same thing, but still have like a very individual experience Mm -hmm. or listen to something that millions of other people are listening to or have listened to, but have your own experience with it. And then there are people like us who could think very deeply about music, but then a lot of people, it's okay if they don't their experience with it is just what it is in the moment it's uh it's something fun it's something enjoyable uh and and can leave it at that but it can be that it can be something so different yet meaningful at whatever level people approach it with sweet well thanks dave i really appreciate you doing this yeah thank you kyle Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichting. Each person interviewed has created a playlist to the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlist, you can head straight to our website at soundtrack.fireside.fm, click on Soundtrack Playlist, and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at at Soundtrack Podcast, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack. Soundtrack.